Well, let me say it again. Good morning. It's my pleasure to greet you in the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Welcome to you who are here in the sanctuary and welcome to those of you who are at home. It is a season of comings and goings. Even as I look out on the congregation here, I see folks who I know this is their first time back in worship. I see folks for whom I think this is maybe their last week in worship. Is that right, Kyle? Are you? One more. Okay, one more. So say hi to Kyle on his way out if you can. And then I see folks who I know are discerning a move. So it is a season of comings and goings here at Blacknell. Uh, So pick up your head and say welcome if you're the new guy or the old guy or you're not sure where you fit. Um, You can let us know that you're here by signing the friendship pad. It should be at the end of your row. This morning, we'll continue our study of the Gospel of Mark, starting with chapter 6, verse 6. It's on page 1007 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you remember the first time that you were out on your own? Middle schoolers and high schoolers, maybe you are anticipating that time. But adults, can you remember the first time that you were sent out on your own? For me... What stands out is probably sometime in my junior or maybe senior year, I wanted to go and visit a friend at the university three hours up the road. This was to be my first drive alone on the interstate, and there was a lot of hand-wringing about whether or not I could make the drive from Memphis to Nashville on my own. In the end, it was decided I could go halfway if I took my mother's car. Asking my college friend to pick me up at a gas station somewhere in Jackson, Tennessee, was a sort of underwhelming entrance into adulthood. But looking back, my driving record certainly merited this caution, (laughs) and it was a good compromise. Since his baptism, Jesus has been out on the road. 
He has been going from village to village, proclaiming the message that we hear in Mark 1. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. As he heals, casts out demons, and even raises the dead. And as he is gone, his disciples have gone with him. They have followed him from the Jordan to Capernaum to the Gerasenes and to every little nameless hamlet around the Sea of Galilee. They heard the preaching. They saw the miracles. And though they often followed in fear and confusion, what did that parable mean? Who is this man? Still, they followed. Now, on the heels of Jesus' rejection in Nazareth, If you were with us last week, then you heard the story of how Jesus went to his hometown only for them to say, who is this man, and reject him. Now, it's on the heels of that rejection that Jesus turns to his own disciples and says, your turn. He pairs them up, presumably lays his hands on them to impart authority over evil spirits, and sends them out on their own. He sends them out with, well, what we would say maybe not a lot of instruction. Number one, take nothing. Summer is travel season for most of us. Can you imagine striking out, whether it's to the mountains or to the beach, with nothing but the clothes on your back? No food, not even snacks. No money, no cash, no credit cards, no Apple Pay. Not even a suitcase, not even the most stripped-down backpacking adventure would send people out without food, but Jesus does. Now, some have read his instructions and been reminded of another band of ascetic itinerants who were Jesus' contemporaries, the cynic philosophers. Whether or not Jesus knew about them or would have seen the resemblance, we don't know, but Jesus and Mark and his Jewish readers and perhaps even you would certainly have heard Jesus' instructions and recalled a moment from Israel's own history, the Exodus. On the night of their flight from Egypt, the Lord gave Israel instructions about how to eat their Passover meal. Listen. This is how you are to eat it, said the Lord, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples in haste, like the 12 tribes of Israel. With only the cloak on their back and the sandals on their feet, they are sent out to lead Israel to freedom again. But like Israel in its desert wanderings, the disciples will be utterly dependent upon the miraculous provision of God when they go. They are to go utterly dependent upon the miraculous provision of God. So how will God provide for the 12? Well, if you skip ahead to the end of chapter 6, you'll see that when the disciples reassemble around Jesus, they, like their forebears, will receive bread from heaven, manna in the wilderness, at that famous feeding of the 5,000, It's coming. But in the meantime, 
while the disciples are out on their missionary journey, God's miraculous provision comes through the hospitality of others. That's instruction number two. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. The disciples are to bring no provisions of their own, but to receive from those who welcome them into their homes. The people who desperately need to hear the proclamation of the kingdom also have something to offer the disciples who desperately need a hot meal and a place to sleep. Now, of course, there were no hotels in town where Jesus could have put them up instead, but Jesus doesn't send his representatives with a wagon full of food to create their own tent city. He sends them dependent on God and in need of others. Whatever the quality of the food and lodging that they got when they arrived, you got to be content with it, Jesus says. They're to remain where they are instead of looking for a better situation. And finally, instruction number three, some will reject you. What happened to Jesus in Nazareth will happen to his disciples too. And when it does, the disciples are to shake the dust off their feet. The closest thing I can imagine to this is a kind of washing of your hands. But shaking the dust off your feet was a gesture that was known to Jesus and his disciples. It was what Jews did when they returned from Gentile territory, when they re-entered the promised land. But now, Jesus instructs the disciples to shake the dust off their feet, to wash their hands to those who do not welcome them. Under the main plot of this story, and often missed by me, by us, there's a negotiating and a renegotiating of the question, who is continuing Israel's story? Who are the heirs of Israel? Jesus and his followers? Or those who are trying to protect Israel and their traditions from Jesus? The announcement of the kingdom of God blesses for those who will hear it. But it is also a word that divides. The disciples will not be unequivocally received with open arms. They must be prepared to receive the rejection and carry on. Jesus isn't sending his disciples out for a joyride, is he? No, he's sending them out as his representatives, as his emissaries on an urgent mission. They proclaim his message. They go on his authority. And they will encounter the same obstacles that Jesus himself faced. It's as if, well, instead of sending me to Nashville, my mother, the senior vice president and assistant general counsel at First Horizon Bank, sent me to her office on the 13th floor and said, Oh, you've been there with me plenty of times. Don't worry. There's a few difficult meetings scheduled. You'll need to write a few briefs. Whatever major contracts come across my desk, sign for me. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be his follower, is to be commissioned as his emissary in the world. 
All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. These are Jesus' famous last words to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is what the risen Lord says when he appears to his frightened followers after the resurrection in the Gospel of John. It wasn't just the twelve, the apostles, who were sent by Jesus. Being sent is a definitive quality of disciples. What begins with the twelve continues in the life of the church. Now, some of us might want to read this passage and glamorize the itinerant missionary and poo-poo the institutional church. It's easy to pit the church and mission against one another, to think that God's mission happens through professionals, through official ministries, but something else is happening when we gather in this building. But listen... The New Testament knows no such dichotomy between church and mission. Remember, in Ephesians, it is the church, the church that is God's witness to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God's mission is the foundation of the church, what we're doing here together. And the church, our ordinary life together, is the instrument of God's mission in the world. The church is a movement launched into the world to bear in its own life God's gift of peace for the life of the world. The church is sent not only to proclaim, but also to bear in its life the presence of the kingdom. This description of the church was penned by Leslie Newbigin, missionary to India, great theologian of mission and the church. And even writing when he did, or perhaps especially writing when he did and where he did as a British missionary to India, he anticipates some of our objections. Some of you, I think, have felt like, well, second-class Christians because you had secular jobs. Perhaps you are comforted to hear that mission isn't just for missionaries. It's not the province of super spiritual professional Christians, but of all of us who are baptized into Christ and members of his church. It will be an encouragement to you to know that your witness begins with showing up here. But others of you ones that I know are listening and perhaps some of you that are even present in the sanctuary are hesitant about the church and want to have nothing to do with missions. Jesus sent his followers into the world like he, Jesus, was sent by the followers, by the Father. Jesus sent his followers into the world with an authority derived from relationship, as his authority was derived from relationship with the Father, so the disciples had an authority not in themselves because they were so great and enlightened, 
but because of their relationship with the Son, with Jesus. Jesus sent them into the world with an authority derived from relationship. He sent them into the world with nothing, no material trappings, no worldly success. He sent them with a message of repentance and a coming kingdom. And he sent them with the possibility of rejection, consequential as it would be, but not coercion. But many of us, we have been made aware, and we just can't forget the strong pull for us to go into the world unlike Jesus, to be emissaries of earthly kingdoms in the name of God. We are to bear in our life the likeness of the king and in our life together the presence of the kingdom, but there is a strong pull, a temptation always for us to go into the world well in any other way. The Poisonwood Bible is a fictional account of Nathan Price, a missionary to the Belgian Congo in the 1950s. It is not a sympathetic portrayal of Christian mission, but perhaps a painful reflection of real temptations. In the first chapter, Orleana, the missionary's wife, writes of what they expected when they set out. She says, We aimed for no more than to have dominion over every living creature that once moved upon the earth. And so it came to pass that we stepped down on a place that we believed unformed, where only darkness moved on the face of the waters. Now you laugh, but what else could we have thought? Only that it began and ended with us. That it began and ended with us. Where does their authority reside? Could God miraculously provide for his people through the ones that they have come to serve? Do God's people have any needs at all? It is a temptation to go and to send on our own authority, to come with material wealth, but no need for God to provide through a miracle or a stranger, to coerce instead of acknowledge rejection. <clears throat> These temptations remain with us, in fact, they have been with us from the beginning. Remember Peter's vision on the rooftop in the book of Acts? Peter calls the animals in his vision unclean, but God calls them good. Peter is hungry, but he can't imagine that God will feed him at the table of Cornelius. But in the end, by the Spirit of God, Peter goes and because of his obedience, because Peter lets God send him where he otherwise never would have gone, what seemed to be just a provincial Jewish sect becomes a multi-ethnic worldwide community where the gospel has gone forth to every corner of the globe. Friends, missions has been a hallmark of Blacknell's identity. We support around 20 international missionaries, many of whom have come through this church, 20 campus ministries, 20 local ministries. 
We pray for missionaries every week. We send you home with your own missionary prayer guide. And even this afternoon, there are two opportunities to gather and pray for mission. The question is not whether we will continue to care about mission. That's not the question. The crucified and risen Lord who is seated at the right hand of the Father has commissioned us to be his emissaries. He has sent the church into the life of the world to announce the coming kingdom of God in Jesus Christ and to be a foretaste of his benevolent reign. The question is not if we will continue to care about mission. It's not whether we are sent, but how we will go. Can we celebrate the miraculous work of God and soberly acknowledge the church's cooperation with other masters? And seeing this, can we claim the commission given to us once again, afresh, to be God's emissaries and perhaps to do so with something of the fright and disorientation that those first disciples must have felt? As a congregation, we cannot take this for granted. This is a conversation we must have, not whether we are sent, but how we will go. And we must have it between the generations. Friends, we are out on our own, and we're headed somewhere. Are we on a joyride, a power trip, a pleasure cruise? Or are we moving forward, trusting the Lord is leading us, looking for that pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that we can expect from the living God? Let's pray together. (coughs) Jesus, we are humbled that you have come to us. And we are yet more humbled and disoriented that you send us to go in your name to others. Call us once again by your Holy Spirit. Help us together to respond to your gracious message and to go where you are sending us. In Jesus' name, amen.